Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com and covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. My name is Becky Schultz, editor of Equipment Today, and in this episode, safety expert John Miola, safety manager with the Timmins Group, delves into the critical topic of heat stress management and how construction leaders can protect not only their employees, but their business by putting a proper plan and procedures in place. Let's dig in with John now. Hi, this is Becky Schultz, editor of Equipment Today and with ForConstructionPros.com. And I am here with John Miola, safety manager of the Timmins Group. And we are going to be talking about heat safety. Can we talk a little bit about what some of the risks are for construction workers and anyone actually who's working outside and in hot environments um, during the summer timeframe? Yes, thank you, and good morning, and welcome to our group. Industry generally has recognized uh, this is becoming a much more prevalent issue that we need to deal with in in the occupational sense. Now, even just going to the beach with your kids or, uh, you know, hiking the mountains to say, well, well, you know, the, the, the uh, air index, the, the, the temperature gradient that they measure this stuff is a combination of heat and humidity. Well, it's over 105. Well, the temperature says it's 94. Well, I can handle that. But the humidity, the combination, is what they call the heat index. Well, that goes over 100. Most of the red flags start popping up saying discontinue. In fact, I'll never forget the Navy up in Bethesda. We were rebuilding the uh, military hospitals. They said, you know, once the heat index hits like 103 combined heat and humidity, discontinue all non-essential exterior activity. And I got guys coming to me saying, yo, I got three paving crews, you know, unloading their trucks in the parking lot. I can't stop, you know, I can't stop this process. And we said, well, we're going to go to plan B. We're going to start using some of the accepted methods that will, you know, we'll run through them in, in a in short 30 seconds. But the season is shaping up. The hot season, it's starting earlier and lasting longer with peaks of more severity in between. And that's the new normal. That's just going to be the climatology and how how the, how the weather changes. Now, if you're a climate denier, uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know what the solution is on your side of the equation. Uh, one guy said, hey, it's real simple. Build more air conditioners. That is not the answer to the climate, <laughs> global warming, if you will. And I can tell you, we're not alone. There's people all over Europe, they've had, it's notorious, they have every year, they have these prolonged hot spells that knock the crap out of elderly populations. They've learned that all throughout Southeast Asia, the the deserts have been expanding all over the world, Uh, deforestation, that's another element. Anyway, we're not going to talk about the big picture on that side. We'll try to focus on what can I do? Hey, I'm the supervisor, I got a road crew, we're going out there. I got three trucks lined up with 
you know, asphalt that's at 140 degrees and it's a big mass of heat. And by the way, what are all those waves coming off in the air? Those are the volatile organic solvents vaporizing out of that asphalt, and you're breathing that. So now you've got a, a really a little complex industrial hygiene because my guys are going to breathe this stuff all day. And, and mercifully, they're outdoors, so there may be some air movement, but, uh, but that's, that's an, an, an occupational exposure that's layered on to the, the, you know, the, the larger picture. So, so what, what do I do as a company? Well, I can tell you um, the industry has, has really taken this uh, um, you know, point blank on the nose. Number one, we've got to go out and do the job, so we're going to be out there in the heat. Well, in the meantime... The safety people have recognized that OSHA, the farm workers, the agricultural people, the uh, um, you know most of the community that works outdoors, they're they're making a lot of noise on it. If you go to the OSHA webpage, at least up until I think it was probably uh, middle of February, the advisories were emblazoned across. You know, heat awareness, heat stress, have a plan, hydration, all of which, yes, good. Now that's been replaced by COVID. Sure. They're focused, obviously, and rightfully so, because, I mean, one illness will offset the other. But the, the, the fact is the risk remains. We have to under, accept it and deal with it. The, the protocol for dealing with this, and, I mean, this is not just OSHA. Um, Center for Disease Control, NIOSH, uh, they have their advisories, their bulletins. Most of the industrial, the big industrial folks, I mean, the, the guys in the foundries and steel mills, they've been dealing with this for years, the paper mills, hot environments. But the outdoor workers, they're getting crushed. They're getting crushed because the heat is coming on sooner, lasting longer. It's not, you don't have as much uh, heat uh, cooling overnight. When the temperature stays above 75, it goes to 106 during the day. It doesn't go below 75. That's a heat emergency in the eyes of the science guys. And there is a website listed on my uh, notes here. I think it's, it's weather.gov slash safety slash heat. And, and that opens up a couple of pages that are um, highly informative. And it's kind of like, you know, you want to be in the position of it's like, huh, I never knew that. I better, you know, accommodate this in my mantra going forward. So the, the resources are out there. Uh, they're becoming more known. Uh, but the one that we had to deal with early on was from the, the big vetting agencies, of which anybody who's been, you know, rubbing elbows with, uh, um, it's becoming more common in the industry. Um, IBS Networld, Aveta, Browse, uh, there's four or five others out there that they are all, uh, these guys are on the cutting edge. They're looking over the horizon because they're not dependent on OSHA regulatory so much as they are is, well, what does my client want to see? And the big international guys, they are all over this. For example, one of the first things that the mantra will ask for, do you want to delve into the actual program now? Because this is... We're going Absolutely. To yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. Because we're going to start hitting... The, the fact is that, um, you know, the at-risk populations are pretty well-defined. Take, for example, remember the silica rule when that came out? It was like probably three, four years ago, five years ago now. Well, the silica rule 
that kind of replicated some of the provisions. Number one, respiratory protection, staying upwind, kind of dovetails going back to our COVID thing. But extrapolate that for the heat factor. Well, those guys, those the the silica dust. You know, if you're on the ground with a saw, you, you've got to use water. You got to have a respirator. You can have a dust mask. You can you know do certain housekeeping chores, uh, maintenance of the equipment. Well, if you extrapolate some of those things, number one, the equipment operators, they're sitting in air-conditioned cabs, so they're automatically protected. Well, these guys kind of get an exemption on the heat stress thing to say, well, wait a minute. I mean, I mean, those cabs are so heavily air-conditioned, they got to put a little heat into it to avoid, you know, building up condensation to say, well, it's too cold. Well, that's a very small part of the population. For most of the folks, and I'm just going to run through my mantra, and some of this, I was actually, um, you know, pleased to see that when I looked at the OSHA website, they named the same people, framing crews, paving crews, pipeline, masonry trades, boots on the ground, surveyors, inspectors, uh, telecom, cable people, steel erection, all of the, the, the entire outdoor agricultural section who's dealt with this, you know, they, they deal with it. It's they, they classify it one step up from nuisance grade. But in the meantime, remember we said OSHA does not have a, a discrete rule. It's, it's defined, not uh, directly accountable on this. It's not like there's a compliance regulation. They would probably cite a uh, egregious example. You had three people admitted to the hospital with heat, heat exhaustion. You'd get cited. The fact is, they, they would come back. They'd probably cite it under the general duty clause. Failure to maintain a workplace free from recognized hazards. Well, I'm sorry. You know, 103 degrees, you've got these guys working on a paving site. That's a recognized hazard for heat. The first thing they're going to ask for is, you got a written plan. Is this part of your manual? Do you have anything in writing that says? Now, OSHA's going to ask that question, but the other guys, the Aveta and the ISNet world, they're going to ask the question, and they want the plan uploaded to their library so the client can look at it and said, does it meet our criteria? And and how I know this is we just had to do it four times for four different agencies. And we had to deliver the plan, a written plan. So the written plan, basically, it's, you know, it's fairly straightforward. It doesn't have to be a encyclopedia. It's a few lines that starts with what is our company policy? Do we recognize this as an issue we need to deal with? Well, obviously, yes. We have leadership. We have demonstrated, you know, we, we, we've written it into our mantra. We recognize it. They want to see uh, employee training, employee training on 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 how hot it is, even though it sounds, you know, very counterintuitive. Well, any moron can walk out the door and know that it's hot. Yeah, but you got to explain the effects of the heat, what it's going to cause, hydration. The, the hydration section alone has been vastly oversimplified. It's like, well, make sure they got water out there. Okay, I get that part. It's a little more complex. So, so we really have a little bit of uh, regulatory, there's a word for it, um, con conflict that, that, you know, OSHA on one point and stand is saying, go do it, go do it. 
but we've got nothing to you know use as a cudgel as a wedge we can't penalize you directly point to a standard on the other hand you have private industry and this is becoming more prevalent on a lot of platforms that they I had one the other day that had it had heat exhaustion it had silica it had all but they also included red fire ants figure that one out that's been an invasive species that's come from different parts of the country and and it is prevalent and they had a guy get bit by these ants and if you get bit by enough of them they can put enough venom in you to cause some reactions yeah so it's a real deal so anyway that was another layer but uh, strictly speaking on the uh, uh um so we've got uh, the training component is two sections. You've got the written plan, the policy statement, you've got your leadership statement, you've got employee training. Okay, we're going to, you know, and it, you know, it doesn't have to be a classroom thing. It can be done at a safety meeting, it can be done at a toolbox meeting, get, you, get your signatures, but make sure this information gets out there. Um, and, you know, the more you want to delve into it, I mean, there's, there's a laundry list of, of elements that we'll probably touch on if you don't turn off my <laughs> turn me off early but uh the fact is the uh um the 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 training it's in two levels average employee obviously you want this person to know certain elements of information hey at least i told you are you taking uh personal medication that could be exacerbated by the effects of being dehydrated or high heat. Well, if you got some borderline cases, that's got to be out there. The other element is employee training. There is supervisory training. And that's a little different mantra. Did you teach your did you teach your supervisors how to recognize the effects of heat illness? Did you teach your supervisors, and this is right out of the mantra, um, how to select an employee based on their ability to withstand high heat exposures? And the examples they use, this is not making this up, it's right out of the litany. For example, did you send Jethro that weighs 300 pounds, you know, morbid obesity, smoking history, hypertension, uh, he's got diabetes. Did you pick that guy to go unload that truck out in the parking lot or to work for extended out in the direction? In other words, they're shifting the burden back to the employer through the supervisory training to say, hey, you better make an intelligent selection because if this guy keels over and we have to take him to, you know, the, the local clinic or emergency room, you know, we're coming back to you under the occupational. But so they actually put it in their mantra and they're very specific about this. Supervisors will be trained on managing the effects of heat stress before they are a, a, before they're out supervising employees. In other words, you can't say, well, yeah, we'll get to it eventually. No, they want to see it in advance of so that the selection criteria takes place before these guys are going out. Now, the, the reality of it is, you know, most crews, it's like, hey, how many people showed up for work today? It's 100 degrees. Well, you know, you know, Sammy, he's, he, he don't like the heat. He didn't show up. Well, now we've got to deal with the crew we've got. Well, that narrows the selection process. But, for example, in an ideal world, right here, here's the you, – you can't see it on your screen, but I'm reading through it. Obesity, 
morbid obesity, uh, smoking habits, hypertension, general physical condition. Uh, those are among the top people with known medical disabilities, people taking medications, people who come to work obviously in no shape to deal with extreme heat. You're going to be out there sweating bullets for long intervals. Here's another one that's part of the training. Employees must have the opportunity to take what they call restorative breaks to cool off. They must have the opportunity to take that break in a shaded, protected area. Not air-conditioned, although it could be preferable if it's available, a shaded, protected area. This is right out of the mantra, and this is going to become more and most people by now are pulling their hair out, saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not here to hold hands. This is not a daycare center. This is a paving crew, or I'm working on a roof. I got roofers I got to do. Get used to it. This is going to be the new normal going forward. So um, we're going to move into uh, the next section. Okay, so we got two levels of training. We've got, now we move into the hardware section. And you've got this thing called the OSHA hierarchy of controls. And if anybody's listening to this sermon and you haven't heard that word, you've got to do a little research. The OSHA hierarchy of controls. It's really simple. Number one is engineering controls. Number two is administrative. And number three is PPE, personal protective equipment. In the construction business, regrettably, most people reach for the PPE you know, without even looking at the top two. Well, I'm sorry. In this case, we've got to do a little more geometry. The same controls apply, by the way. The hierarchy of controls, can, it, can, it, it applies to any of the OSHA regulatory, silica, power tools, lockout, tagout, fall protection. Can we engineer a better way to eliminate the hazard? In this case, it's the heat. They say, well, well, what do you mean? I'm not, I'm not, the, you know, the Lord Almighty. I can't de de define a change in temperature. Yeah, but you can think a little harder and come up with, if you got, your guys are going to be on that roof all day in the blazing hot sun, what's the mantra here? Uh, they got these things now, they come out when it's raining. Uh, it's called a umbrella, a canopy, a tarp. Think about, you drive down the road, you see the Verizon guy set up next to the manhole. He's there all day. The first thing he does, he puts up a shelter. I want some shade. The guy's on the side of the road. The roofers would be laughing their faces off saying, what do I, an umbrella. It's not rocket science. You can buy industrial umbrellas that are made for, you know, just general application. In other words, you've got to give the op. Now, the other option is the guy can get down off the roof and go to a shaded area, which is usually just the side of the building. That implies up and down, climbing a ladder. Suppose you're four stories up, you're doing whatever. So try to minimize, at least use some technology. So we've got uh, um, the, the portable shade. Obviously, if there are structures on the roof or structures in your area where you're working that give some shade, well, that's kind of a self-defining. Okay, next section we've got is uh, uh, fans. Any kind of fan or air movement. And, and this is starting to become more recommended. And also with the word fan is becoming the word misting fans. Been to the large theme parks, there's a misting station. That effect, that's not just for the entertainment crowd. That's becoming like an occupational 
uh, um, element. If you rig this thing up, and they are expensive, the better ones are, you know, industrial models. A misting fan actually has a highly restorative effect for heat transfer, evaporative heat transfer from the body. It actually sucks the heat out of your skin, and and that droplets of moisture aid in the transpiration effect, evaporation is the cooling. So, so that's another option that's becoming. But any fan in any configuration will at least move the air. And unless you've got some kind of a breeze, still air is the worst possible because now you're just relying on the individual's perspiration and heat transpiration and evaporation rate, some more than others. Well, well, that can be a risk factor, especially when you layer on you know, the personality. The other elements that are becoming... Uh, we'll, we'll switch a little bit. So we've got um, engineering, which would be the shelters, the fans. Um, then we've got some interim. The interim actions are being able to take a break periodically. These are at the administrative control level. We've got engineering controls, administrative controls, allowed to take a break, provision of water, uh, employee selection is actually an administrative control. If you've got somebody on your crew that's, you know, massively overweight or they've, you know, just chain smoking or they're already respiratory impaired, by the way, layer this on with COVID and now you've got social distancing, you got these things, you know, if there's face cloths, face coverings, uh, before we move on, this is another version. I want to give Anthony a plug. Anthony Bowers, I hope you're reading this. Multi-purpose cooling band. It's like everybody's getting in the act, which you're going to see increasingly the tool vendors and the equipment suppliers taking note and providing. The same thing they did with... Uh, for example, the uh, uh, silica standard. Overnight, the tool industry retooled and reconfigured and started offering, you know, vacuum hoses and shrouds and water canisters and piping and all this stuff. Well, the industry, you know, and then this should be an easy stretch for them. They can come up with some highly innovative ways, which I hope they will do. I think they've already started. But uh, so we've got the administrative section, the breaks, the water, uh, the job rotation. Uh, here's one for you under the administrative section. Think about this. Can we do this job at night? Is there any possibility of getting out from the sun? Well, we really can't do it at night. However, we can start an hour earlier and knock off an hour earlier to avoid the, you know, the hottest time. So that's an administrative section, by the way. Write all this stuff down in your written plan to show that you're on board with it. Here's a, here's a safety tip. I tell people this routinely. The penalty for not having anything whether it's a plan or a fire extinguisher or whatever, that penalty is a lot. It's more, more, because you got nothing. You can't just stand there and say, no, nah, I got a written plan. I told them. It's not it. The penalty for having an inadequate plan, insufficient plan, improperly detailed, blah, 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 is a lot less than not having anything. So go out there and write on the wall, written plan, do something, at least have something that if an inspector shows up or, God forbid, some guy keels over and now you've got the, you know, the rescue squad or you've got some health inspector or the client, 
they're asking the question, say, well, well, look, we at least we tried. We did the training, we did the renewal, we did the refresher. Uh, so we've got all those elements. Okay, let's talk for a minute. This is a big item. I like I like this category because it offers a lot of uh, a lot of ground for improvement. Clothing, dress, and most companies, you know, in the construction trades, they don't really offer uniforms. They'll give you a vest. They'll give you maybe a high visibility shirt. They may give you a hard hat. They'll give you the PPE. Well, that dress code is going to come under a little bit of metamorphosis. It's already started because of this heat thing. How the person dress, how they show up for work, what they're wearing can make a big difference over the course of the day. The heat load created by a closed front garment is enormously more than open front, even if it's just a button you know, loosely buttoned or whatever. Most of the body heat in the in most of the core body heat in the in the human body, 60-70% is right here in the torso. We reverse this equation in cold weather when we tell people to protect your core body heat, which is right here. Internal organs, the heart, the liver, the, the, the stomach, all of this protected to conserve heat. Well now we're in the opposite mode. We want to get that heat out. Well, open front garments, by the way, have you ever read the label on the fabric that they make this stuff with? Uh, honest to God, it's pure polyester. You're on mute. You're on mute. Again. It's pure polyester. It's horrible. It's like wearing a blanket. Well, most people don't understand. You're wrapping that heat in, so it's got nowhere to go. You want heat coming out of the core of the body. It's not going to radiate from your head. It's not going to radiate from your feet. It's not going to radiate from your legs. It's the arms, the armpit, the shoulders, all up in here, but the central chest. So, so evaporative cooling, some air exchange. I'm sorry, Jethro, wearing that polyester shirt all day, yeah, I know it's high vis. We got to do better. Uh, I see a lot of guys with no shirt, just wearing the vest, and that's look like it looks like a page out of Beverly Hillbillies. I mean, that's a scary prospect, but that's actually the optimal cooling because now you got nothing. You've got no garment to wrap in, but you've got you know the ugly sight of some guy's armpits or tattoos or whatever showing. But you've got this guy wrapped in bad enough. Now, most of the fabric vests are pure polyester. By the way, have you noticed, not to get off on a tangent, there's a, there's a group out there called ISEA. You ever heard of those guys? I have heard of them, yes. International Safety Equipment Association. Well, they're the friends that we can invite to the party to say, hey, can you figure out a way to make these vests out of some kind of breathable mixture or blend. And I can tell you that I did this research 20 years ago to try to, they are, they are in fact trying to get fabric engineers, if you can imagine, fabric engineers trying to figure out. Now I think they've got it. It's because their standards on the durability and color fastness of the vests require a certain amount of plastic polyester to hold the dyes, the high-vis dyes. And arguably what we're doing is trading one risk for another to say, well, you're going to wrap me in this piece of plastic. Well, well, can you at least try to give me a little breathing room with a 
breathable fabric, whether it's cotton or linen or some kind of, you know, whatever the blend is. Well, there are, in fact, as we speak, fabric engineers all over the world trying to figure out how to make the blend. And they are making progress on it. Some of the newer versions do have a little bit of a blend. But they're up against the ISEA standards, the ANSI standards, that say... If you're going to call it a high-vis vest, then it's got to be, you know, meet these standards of dur durability, color fastness, fade resistance, UV resistance, all this. They say, well, you know, that, so that horse race is going on as we speak. Hopefully somebody will come up with the magic bullet to say, yeah, we can, thereby relieving that heat load. And think about it, the millions of people out there wearing, because the boss said, I got to wear the... Now, I can tell you, if I had the choice between sweating the extra quart of sweat over the course of the day and wearing the vest, I'd wear the vest. Only because I'm a freak for visibility and optics and line of sight. And here's another mantra to go with that. I've investigated enough accidents. Most of the people that do this for a living have investigated enough accidents to know that the most common statement you will hear on an accident investigation report, I never saw them. Think about it. Yeah. So why, why would we? Why would we not want to be? They say, "Well, I'm sorry, your vest is drenched with sweat." Yeah. Well, good. You can still see me. So, so the one, you know, one one hazard offsets the other. In any event, this is called risk management. By the way, for the, the, the those of you with a degree in science. Um, in any event, um, so garments, engineered garments. By the way, uh, the recreational industry, the sporting industry, uh, they've come up with some Under Armour. They get this, and they're coming up with garments that are incredibly lightweight, sun resistant. Uh, um, you know, that help with the process. Because think about it, athletes—they're out there running and jumping and doing it all as they sweat. So, well, there's no reason we can't adopt that. In fact, I see a lot of my guys, field workers, they're wearing, you know, very expensive Under armor or rei or they go to you know dick sporting goods or wherever and they buy highly engineered garments that are made for this for sunlight resistance insect shield built in they have some insect resistance so so the industry is trying to move forward well if we just stay in the carhartt realm i guarantee you carhartt is going to be all over this dickies all of the big equipment guys they're going to be jumping all over this to say lightweight, light color, which is another part of the mantra that you need to educate your employees. Don't come to work with a black hoodie sweatshirt and put a vest over it. You're, 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 you know, you're insulating yourself. You need to be dressed light colors, lightweight, open front if possible. Um, regrettably, nobody allows shorts. Nobody, uh, I think the Australians allow it. Um, in some cases where you can rule out hazards to the lower leg, you can safely engineer if the client allows it. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing that. You get a little bit of extra cooling from the legs, uh, but uh, that, that, that's more, again, that's under the administrative portion of your controls. Um, so if you'll notice throughout this guy's sermon right up till now, what are we like 40 minutes into this speech, the word hydration hasn't shown up yet. Think about it. Hydration. Well, that's part of our employee education. That's part of our supervisory education, providing water. Anything I touch is going to have a degree of science behind it. 
Hydration, yes, good, I get it. Really important, I understand that. Hydration means liquid ingested into the body with some form of water content. The neighbors are going berserk, they hear me holler. Uh, the fact of the matter is, drinking a couple of bottles of water is not hydration. You're just passing that through your system. That's going to eliminate some salts, but it's not going to rehydrate. Hydration, here, I'll give you another example. Dietary. It begins with dietary. The hotter it is, the less you want to eat at midday. You can't have a big meal, put all that, and especially what you're eating, if it's grease or junk food or fast food, you do not want to load all that crap into your body. You've just put a high metabolic load on your stomach and esophagus and digestive tract. You really don't want all that crap in there. You don't need all that junk at noontime. You want to eat light salads, just a sandwich, minimal bread. Uh, toasted bread is better than you know just regular bread. Um, you want to try to minimize because that food load is going to translate into what the circadian rhythm. You ever heard the word ergonomics? That would form. I teach a class. I teach a semester class on ergonomics. There's one element under what's called the circadian rhythms, which is should be part of our supervisory education. There's something called the post lunch dip. This is science. I ain't making this up. This is right out of the textbook. Post-lunch dip. What you cram down your throat at lunch, you're going to pay for that between 2 and 4 p.m. Hydration, the diet, the post-lunch dip, the fatigue factor. All of these things kind of, you know, glom together. Uh, let's talk just for a quick second on hydration you know at the end of the day just throw them cases of water in the back of the truck put a top over them keep them out of the sun that's it you want ice okay you get extra ice cold is a negative ice cold beverage not recommended it takes the body more energy we're talking ergonomic energy takes the body more energy to assimilate ice cold jethro i know it tastes good going down your throat when you feel that knot in your your throat it means that the cold has actually constricted your thorax and and drinking you know system and it's at the cold it takes the body more energy because it's got to take that cold water and warm it up to ambient temperature in order for the cell transfer to occur for the h2o to actually be metabolized into your cells this is this is part of the science it's so ice cold is not recommended and chugging any volume of liquid is not recommended sipping gradually throughout the day long period that's the key to there's another section on you know elimination we won't get into the details but there's a whole you know the whole practice relating to that but the fact of the matter is red bull uh boutique stuff monster all of those boutique beverages, don't even let them on the job site. Don't even take them out of your vending machines. I've got projects working here, big projects, a couple of thousand guys every day going to work, high dollar trades, electricians and, you know, big, you know, big stuff, um, um, uh, systems, um, you know, all hardware and, and high tech. They took the junk food right out of the vending machines. They didn't even want it on the site. No Coca-Cola, 
You can get uh, Squincher, Gatorade, hydrating beverages. You really don't want these guys chugging any of that stuff right out of the bottle. Typically, what we recommend is to mix that stuff, cut it with a lot of water. Because basically, it's sugar and salt with a little bit of buffering agents and flavoring, etc. So you want to cut it with a lot of water. 50% is a good ratio to start with. Coffee, by the way, is not a hydrating beverage. Um, it's okay. It's a diuretic. It makes you, you know, activate the system. But nape protectors, very big item. Cooling bandanas, small but critical technology. But anything we can do, even even a rag, just a regular bandana, dunked in water, wrapped around the neck, a large large amount of blood flow, carotid arteries going up from the heart, pumping straight up to the brain. The brain is the largest consumer of red blood cells. It wants that blood constantly flowing. So when we pump all that blood at even room temperature going up, well, the brain gets an infusion of heated blood. Well, I'm sorry, can we do any better? Yeah, you can cool it off a little bit, even a fraction of a degree of temperature, if we can do something to cool it. Very refreshing, very cooling. It, at least it lessens that heat load going up into the cranial region. So, by the way, if your job is to go out there, hot asphalt, hot, hot stone or hot whatever steel, I want something interface. I want a piece of cardboard, carpeting, plywood, something. So I'm not standing because I'm absorbing that into my I don't want to add to the heat load. So again, insulation effects, which we are going to be seeing more. Um, but these are all examples of, you know, administrative controls. The PPE obviously is our dress. If we do distribute uh, lightweight shirts or garments or, um, you know, you know, loose pants, uh, baggy are preferred as to tight fitting garments. Um, and that's kind of a rule that we we see throughout um, all types of umbrellas, tilting umbrellas, multi-purpose mount, freestanding. Um, here's that website, weather.gov slash safety slash heat. Um, and then the next section is pretty much a repetition of the mantra. Um, here, I'll read, you, I'll read you one line from their mantra just to show you the, the, the stringency that they adopt access to a shaded area will be permitted at all times throughout the course of the day in advance of the employee feeling the effects of heat related illness so access to a shaded area if it's air conditioned you get extra bonus points but uh here's another tip going in and out of air conditioned environments when it's really hot not particularly good practice. The body gets the basic equivalent of whiplash. On one hand, it's pumping out sweat. You know, your garments are drenched. And now what? Well, now I'm going into the trailer, put my feet up. Well, you know, in three minutes, you're going to be freezing because all that transfer, you know, all that evaporation rate. Now, most people would say, oh, yeah, but it feels so good. Okay, I get it. Well, now you're going to go back out into the heat and reverse the process. You know, we've got to make some decisions. In any event, another awareness items, uh, supervisor and lead persons will be trained in our company heat 
heightened heat policy as described in this section, procedures will be in place to control the effects of environmental factors that can contribute. The most common are air temperature, humidity, radiant heat sources, air circulation or lack thereof, which, which is a long way of saying five words, the, the word fan. Uh, physical factors, we, we mentioned earlier, level of activity, duration, clothing, uh, supervisors. This is right out of their mantra. I had to go in front of my guys and say, supervisors must consider, right out of the rule book, employee personal factors that may contribute to heat-related illness before assigning a task where there's a possibility of illness, person's general age. Well, I'm sorry, I fit into that category. Person's general age. Okay, well, that lets me out of the <laughs> Okay. And it says, for instance, if they're over 60 years old, of which, I, you know, I meet the criteria, maybe more susceptible, relative weight and fitness, smoking history, obesity, uh, medical impairments, infirmities, drug and alcohol use, history of prior medical, hydration levels. And it's like I can hear the supervisors, you know, wailing now saying, how do I know what this hydration level is? Well, uh, you know, we're going to make some reasoned. What we don't want is the guy out there getting a headache, vomiting, feeling, you know, hey, I'm not sweating anymore. Um, I, the, the, and, and, and at the end of the day, and this is another part of your mantra for the training, you must teach the employees how to and the supervisors how to recognize heat progression, heat illness progression. Real simple. You should never get thirsty. If you've reached the level where you're thirsty, you've already passed the onset of dehydration. That's number one. Number two, cramps, muscle cramps, especially in the legs or the buttocks, gluteus maximus, those are the large muscles of the body. They use a lot of moisture. So you don't want them getting creaky for lack of hydration. That's a warning sign. Dehydration starting to creep in. Headaches, blurry vision, loss of concentration. You're in the mid zone. You're in the warning. These are the warning signs. You've got to be taking action now. This person needs to get out of the sun, get to a cool area, lay down, put their feet up. Purely therapeutic, put the feet up, rest a little bit, rehydrate, feel okay, get rebalanced. All right, maybe now reduced activity, but, you know, supervisor's got to be part of this. The next levels get a little more serious on the scale. Loss of consciousness, uh, incontinence, um, you know, slurred speech, um, um, loss of vision. You know, you, you can... At that stage, that's heat stroke. We don't want to be in the same room with that. But the body will give enough early warning signs to kind of keep us out of that if we know what to look for, how to react, and, and you know, get the person aside, cool them off, do whatever. So um, we have covered pretty much the um encyclopedia britannica grade <laughs> if it goes anymore i'm gonna have to start handing out college credits for these courses but that's basically heat stress awareness protection prevention avoidance in a nutshell um starting with how boring can i make it written plan it's like are you kidding me jethro to listen to what i'm telling you 
a written plan, at least start with something. Write all that stuff down, copy it out of the book or write all it down. We just said about it. You've got, you know, probably 80%. And then your own ingenuity can kick in and say, hey, you know, I saw a guy at the beach and he had this thing set up and it was doing this. and Fantastic. Adopt from any source available. I think that you have covered a tremendous amount of information, John. I, I don't know that I necessarily have any specific questions, um, but I do think that we have um, certainly have a lot of great information to share with our audience. Um, and as always, it's a pleasure hearing from you. I think that um, if there are questions that anyone does have of you, is there a way they might be able to reach you to get that information? Yes. My email is riskengineer1 at gmail.com. Send in your questions and your comments. Uh, I'll be happy to follow up. But uh, number one, this is not a insurmountable task. Considering what we just went through in a learning curve in the last three months, Think about it. America got an industrial hygiene lesson the size of Mount Everest, and we're still learning. We're still going through it. So in the, in the, in the scale of, of proportionality, um, the silica standard, the average PPE requirements, the average safety stuff on a job site, this is not insurmountable. We can get over this. We can deal with it. But we are going to have to you know, make it a piece of focused attention because the climate ain't going to change anytime soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Digging Deeper. Thank you to John Miola with the Timmons Group for taking the time to talk with us today. Tune in every Monday for another episode of the Digging Deeper podcast by 4constructionpros.com. You keep listening, we'll keep digging. Until next time.